Let's look at our, our passage for today, which is Micah 7, 8 through 20. Micah 7, 8 through 20. Here it is. Do not rejoice over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will stand up. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Because I have sinned against him, I must endure the Lord's rage until he champions my cause and establishes justice for me. He will bring me into the light, and I will see his salvation. Then my enemy will see, and she will be covered with shame. The one who said to me, where is the Lord your God? My eyes will look at her in triumph. At the time, she will be trampled like mud in the streets. A day will come for rebuilding your walls. On that day, your boundary will be extended. On that day, people will come to you from Assyria, from the cities of Egypt, from Egypt to the Euphrates River, from sea to sea, mountain to mountain. Then the earth will become a wasteland because of its inhabitants and the result of their actions. Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock that is your possession. They live alone in a woodland, surrounded by pastures. Like, let them graze in Bashan and Gilead as in ancient times. I will perform miracles for them as in the days of your exodus from the land of Egypt. Nations will see and be ashamed of all their power. They will put their hands over their mouths. Their ears will become deaf. They will lick the dust like a snake. They will come trembling out of their hiding places like reptiles slithering on the ground. They will tremble in the presence of the Lord our God. They will stand in awe of you. Who is a God like you? Forgiven iniquity and passing over rebellion for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not hold on to his anger forever because he delights in faithful love. He will again have compassion on us and he will vanquish all our iniqu- vanquish our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show loyalty to Jacob, faithful love to Abraham, as you swore to our fathers from days long ago. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father, Lord, we thank you that we can gather together in your presence here today, that your church all the true local churches of Lord Jesus gathered around the world today are your temple, Lord, and you dwell in our midst by the power of your spirit, Lord God. And we have complete and free access into the most holy place through the blood of Christ to come and to ask for grace and help in our time of need. Lord, we thank you that you are a good father, you give us good gifts, that you love us as your children, and that you talk to us, you speak to us uh, when the preacher opens his mouth and preaches your word, preaches it accurately and faithfully, Lord. And you, your word comes with the power of your own presence and spirit. I pray that you would use it to chisel us and mold us and shape us into the image of your beloved son. In his name we pray, amen. All right, so we're finishing up our sermon series in the book of uh, Micah this morning. Uh, if you're new with us, we've been working through the book of Micah uh, chapter by chapter. And here we are uh, wrapping it up. Uh, today And what we've been saying all along is that Micah had this vision of the future, uh, of uh, his vision of the future and how it ought to impact uh, our lives today. It, it, impact, it should have impacted his life and his community's life. Um, we've been saying that Micah's vision, the words that he spoke, are fulfilled in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and his continuing work by the power of the Spirit through the church. That means it's going down today through the church, but it won't be complete until Jesus Christ cracks the sky and he returns again one day. So even the church today, we are living in light of the future. You got to live the future uh, now. So 
Uh, as you guys uh, noticed, there are a lot of details in this passage that we just uh, read. We're not going to cover all the, all the details. We're going we're gonna to do like the drone footage. All right, we're going to get the lay of the land, and then we're going we're gonna to land on a particular passage uh, in this, uh, this section. So this passage uh, in Micah chapter 7 is literally a summary of the entire book. It's pretty fabulous how he does it. Uh, but it is summarizing the whole book. I don't know if you noticed it, but this passage asks two questions. It asks two questions. And the first one is this, where is God? That's the first question. Micah chapter 7, verse 10. Then my enemy will, she will, my enemy will see, and she will be covered with shame. The one who said to me, here it is, where is the Lord your God? My eyes will look at her in triumph. At that time, she would be trampled like mud in the streets. So Micah is being asked this question by his uh, opposition to his, his ministry and his message. Where is the Lord your God? Where is he? Right? And he answers that question by uh, focusing on the word seeing or sight. He, said, he basically says, you're going to see. You, you're asking me where he is and what's up with him? Well, just watch and see. Uh, you, you'll see what happens, right? So... Um, we see this, this focus on sight or seeing in verse 10, this passage right here. Uh, it says, my enemy will see. After the question, where's the Lord your God? He says, my eyes will look. Um, uh, verse 9, uh, he says he, that Micah himself will see his salvation. Down in verse 16, he says, the nations will see and be ashamed. And we could go on and on, but I think you get the point. He answers this question, uh, where is God, by focusing on sight. Um, maybe that's your question here this morning. Where is God? It can be difficult to, to, to see God uh, in our lives sometimes. We wonder, what is he doing? Where is he at? Especially in our, in our, our world today, our culture today, there's a lot of pressure uh, not to see God. Our, our whole surrounding culture is basically asking the same question uh, that Micah was got. Where is he? What's he got to say about these issues? Is there any relevance, right, uh, to what he's got uh, to say? It's difficult to see God when life gets tough, isn't it? We wonder, what's he up to? What, what is he doing? The Bible makes it clear that we can see God in and through the things that he has made. I'll show you. Psalm 19, verse 1 and 2. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour out speech. speech. Night after night, they communicate knowledge. So Psalm 19 says, uh, through the sun, moon, stars, sky, clouds, all that is preaching to us all the time. All day long, all night long, it is preaching to us of the glory of God. Uh, last, uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, on my day off, uh, I went up behind my house and uh, sit down and just looked at the view of Sleepy Creek Mountain. Right? We have an amazing view of uh, Sleepy Creek Mountain. I was just looking at it, the sky was like beautiful blue, not a cloud. The trees are starting to change a little bit. And I was just like, this is incredible. This is, this is absolutely beautiful. I mean, we live in a beautiful place, right? Uh, we were coming into the Apple Butter Festival uh, yesterday, came in the back way, and uh, you could see Cape and Mountain, and it was, it was raining a little bit out, and there was some just mist and clouds at the top of the mountain. I thought, this is just, this is breathtaking, you know? But here's what I know. When you see something like that, here's what you never say to yourself. Man, look at evolution. Man, look at evolution go here. Look at it work. No one ever says that, by the way. Right, because when we see it, something it preaches something to our hearts of the glory of God. Right, we, we intuitively know that this is amazing. 
because it's preaching to us about God's glory and his, uh, his beauty and his creativity and his wisdom. We ought to see God because without him, we can't see anything. How about that? This is what C.S. Lewis said. C.S. Lewis, a uh, Christian writer, um, says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, I see the sun, but because, it, but because, but because by it I see everything else. You guys see what he's saying? All right, without the sun, you can't really see anything. It's going to be pitch black. You're going to be falling over stuff. You're not going to know what's out there uh, uh, in the world. But the sun comes up, the sun shines, and we can see uh, our way. We, we know where we're going and what's in front of us. Lewis is saying here that because God is there and because God is true, he alone makes sense out of everything. All right, we ought to have confidence uh, as Christians uh, in that. Let me give you one example uh, of one thing that only Christianity can make, make sense out of. Only Christianity can make sense out of everything. I'm going to give you one thing, right? Love. I would say most people would say that's probably the most important thing, like love. Like you can, if you don't have love, you ain't got nothing, right? We sing all kinds of songs about it. We write books about it, stories about it. But uh, if what kids are taught is true in school, then love is just a part of the evolutionary process for our uh, species to survive, right? Because if all there is is matter... And love has to be a part of that, which means all it really is is just the chemicals and juices flowing, which helps our species survive. Now, I don't recommend you try that on your next anniversary. Uh, you mentioned that to your, your spouse. Like, hey, babe, I love you. I'm just so thankful for you. Uh, but really, I just want the species to survive. It's probably not going to go well with you uh, for the rest of your, your anniversary celebration if you say something like that. But, uh, you know, most people uh, in our culture don't think it through. We say things today like, love is love. You guys mind if I tell you how I really feel about that? That is absolutely ridiculous. That makes no sense whatsoever. And this is why, as a part of uh, educating kids and, and grown-ups, we need basic classes on philosophy and logic because that's self-referentially incoherent. It makes absolutely uh, no sense. This is ridiculous. Here, but here's the translation of what that actually means. Uh, it means that love means uh, whatever we want it to mean. All right, and let me prove to you in one second that cannot be true. All right, so if love is whatever we want it to mean, that means we have to play fair, because if it means whatever, that means we can include all kinds of evil things in that whatever, and no one wants to do that. Everyone's got a line that they won't cross, but we got to play fair if the definition is whatever. All right, so it can't be... Uh, true, only Christianity can make sense out of uh, love because uh, Christianity grounds love in the person of God, right? God has revealed himself as love, as a part of his character. God has always had someone to love, by the way. He's existed for all of eternity in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, a community of love. And since he's love, he alone is God. That means he alone defines for us what love really is, and he tells us what it is. 1 John chapter uh, 4, verse 10 is what it says. And this is love. Here's the definition. This is not hard to figure out. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. All right, this is love. Um, and this is what Micah has been telling us uh, about the whole time throughout the book, that God is going to send his love into the world uh, for unlovely people. 
I mean, all throughout the book of Micah, there's all kinds of brokenness. I mean, the last, last sermon we just said, Micah said, there's no faithful people in the land. It's utterly vanished. That we're all sinners. We're all messed up. We all do what is wrong. God is preaching to us all the time of his glory and his majesty and his beauty, right? And we don't thank him and we don't honor him. And without Christ, we don't know him, even though we're being preached at all the time. Because nature, nature can't save us. Nature can't tell you about the love of God. It can tell you he's there. They can't tell you how he propitiated for our sins in the bloody sacrifice of Jesus. Right? God gave us a mind and reason to use, and we use it to justify our selfishness by making love whatever we want it to be, loving whoever we want and loving them in the way that we want to love them, right? which is selfish. Um, this is where the good news of Micah breaks in. Micah was a hillbilly preacher, and he saw God coming to a small town called Bethlehem. That's what we saw back in chapter 5, uh, verse 2. Micah sees this vision. He sees the Messiah, Jesus, being born in a little town in Israel called Bethlehem. So where is God? He came. How about that? God came into our world in flesh and blood. So if you were there, if you were there when Mary gave birth to Jesus, she, she might have let you hold him. I don't know. This is what I'm saying. Where is God? He came into our world. And if you were there with everyone else when Mary was holding the baby Jesus, you could have asked her, can I, hold, can I hold God in my hands? Can I hold God, the Lord, who came into the world uh, in my own uh, hands? And he grew up, Jesus. And he was a long-awaited king of Israel. He's the Messiah, the hope of the world. And uh, he had these uh, 12 guys that rode with him the disciples. And one of them's name was John. And John walked and talked with Jesus for three years. And this is what he says about Jesus. First John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. He says, what was from the beginning? Now, when you see those words, what was from the beginning, you ought to recall the first words of the Bible, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. What uh, John is saying here is that Jesus was there Jesus is eternal God. He's the one through whom God created everything uh, that, that we see. What was from the beginning? What we've heard. We heard Jesus. We were with him. We heard him. Look, what we've seen with our eyes, we saw God in the flesh. What we've observed, we touched him. We were with him, hanging out with him. I gave him a, a dap and a fist bump, you know, or whatever. I don't know. Um, concerning the word of life. Jesus is the word of life. And that life was revealed. See, we don't have to guess about God. We don't have to fiddle around with God and be confused about God because God has made himself known in Christ. We have seen it, and we testify and declare it to you, the eternal life. This is where life is really found. That was with the Father, and that was revealed to us. To us. See, Jesus Christ came into the world so that you could see God. If you see Jesus, you can see God. And when you see Jesus, what do you see him doing? Let's think about that. If we can see Jesus, we see him and, and his life and his ministry and his death and his continuing work in the world, what do we see him doing? We see Jesus doing what no one else can do, what no one else could do. And that leads us to a second question. Who is like our God? Verse 18. Who is a God forgiving iniquity? Who is a God like you forgiving iniquity and passing over rebellion? And this is really what the whole book is about. 
The whole book of Micah is about our God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no one like him. There's no one who can uh, compare with him. He's the goat. He is the goat, right? He's the greatest of all time. Uh, I found an article, it was a CBS article, uh, ranking the all-time goats in basketball, baseball, football, and hockey. Uh, guess who uh, the greatest of all time in NFL uh, is? Tom Brady, yeah, you guys got it right. They, they say he's, he's the greatest. Seven championships, seven uh, uh, Super Bowl MVPs, and three uh, league MVPs. Don't be offended by that, right? That's just what, what it says. Micah is saying that our God is the GOAT, right? He is the greatest of all time. This is how the book of Micah starts out. It introduces us to uh, Micah. Micah's name in Hebrew literally means who is like the Lord. Uh, we uh, were given some antique bookends recently. Like, you know, go in your library, which means we're nerds, I guess. If somebody, if somebody gives you bookends as a gift, that means you're a nerd. You like a lot of books and stuff, right? Uh, so uh, they were in our family for a long time. They're, they're kind of cool. But anyway, uh, so Micah starts out. We're introduced to Micah, who is like the Lord. Chapter 7, verse, that's the first bookend. Chapter 7, verse 18 is the other bookend, who is like our God. All right, so the whole book is trying to tell us about this God, that there's no one to compare him to. Uh, there's no one uh, like him. And Micah lists off several character traits that God possesses to make his case. You guys ready for these? Okay, we're going we're gonna to go rapid fire. Number one, he's forgiving. He's forgiving. That's what it says right here. Who is a God like you, forgiving iniquity? This, this, this word right here, for, to forgive, is literally the word he lifts. He lifts. Here's what God, here's why there's no one like our God. He lifts sin up off of us. Sin is a burden too uh, great to carry, right? It's like, you know, pressing weights and you stack a bunch of plates on there and you think you're big, bad, and you're beefy, and you ain't got no spotter, and you, you lift it up off there and just crushes your chest, right? Sin is a weight that you cannot get up off of yourself. See, Jesus is the only spotter that can lift sin up off of you. He's the only one strong enough, the only one great enough, the only one who can actually lift it up uh, off of us is Jesus. There is no one like our God who lifts the burden of sin by sending his own son, Jesus Christ, into the world, who himself was crushed under the burden. You see that? Jesus was crushed under the burden of all of our sin and all of our iniquity. But by his very own power, Jesus Christ raised himself from the dead. And he took that sin, all of our sin, like a little, one of the little dumbbells, like the ones I use, right? The little ones. And he tossed that thing, right? This is what Jesus does. It's the forgiveness uh, that he uh, provides. And it's, it's amazing. So if you're a Christian who believes the gospel, there is nothing that you can do or nothing that God wants you to do to pay him back. This is the grace of God. God is not asking you to pay him back uh, for what he's done for you. You ever try to uh, refuse a gift from someone who really wants it? Man, don't do that. Just say, just say thank you, right? We, we opened this gallery space up yesterday, and uh, people were wanting to use the bathroom, and there was this family who, uh, who we let use the bathroom, and, and they were trying to, like, tie to the church, you know, you know what I mean, to, to um, use the bathroom. I was like, no, just, just you know, just go. This, you're, you're welcome to use the bathroom. Um, look at uh, Psalm 116, verse 12 and 13. This is a beautiful passage. How can I repay the Lord for all the good that he's done for me? I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. See, that's so beautiful. How, how can you repay God back? Some more, please. 
Hold your cup of salvation up. Say, God, I, I need some more of your mercy. I need some more of your grace, more of your forgiveness in my life. You know what? He, just, he constantly is pouring that cup to overflowing, right, because there's no one like him. Number two, he's patient. Look, at, look here again, verse 18. Micah chapter 7, verse 18. Yeah, he does not hold on to his anger uh, forever. This is how a lot of people picture God. They picture him as, a, as an angry judge. He's up there, and he's watching, he's waiting for you to screw up so that he can ruin your life. And maybe you're here and you, so you think this morning, God is uh, making your life uh, live in hell because he's an, he's an angry judge and he's out to get you. Is anger ever okay? Yeah, if someone was uh, threatening my wife physically and I didn't get angry, I would hope some of you men in church would call me uh, into question. Right? It, it, it's dead wrong not to get, to get angry in certain situations. Uh, C.S. Lewis again, that's how he puts it. Anger is the fluid that love bleeds when it gets cut. So when you cut love, when you hurt love, what ought to come out of that wound is anger. All right? God is rightly angry with anything that threatens his world, his people, and his glory. And all of us, all of us have done a lot of harm in our lives. Whether we realize it or not, uh, we, we've brought some type of misery into this world. We've trampled his glory uh, in the mud. We've hurt uh, other people. But this is why Jesus came willingly as a sacrifice on our behalf to turn God's anger away. At the cross, at the cross of Christ, Jesus absorbed the full wrath and judgment of God for all of our sins. All the, all the, all the just holiness of God, Jesus squeezed it all up, soaked it all up at the cross. Uh, we lived in uh, Richmond, Virginia for 10 years, and uh, we experienced uh, several hurricanes and a lot of tornadoes. And uh, it, it was wild, right? And the tornado warning would, uh, would go off, and they would, like, be right in the city, like, right downtown. They had pictures of it, like, right over our neighborhood uh, at times. We'd have to go down into the crawl space uh, until uh, the storm passed, right? As Christians... We can go down into Jesus um, and find shelter and safety there uh, from God's judgment. Because uh, at the cross, the judge, God the judge, and we've seen that in the book of Micah, right? That, that God, God is the judge of the whole earth. At the cross, the judge becomes our father. And there's no more anger, right? There's no more judgment for you. If you are a believer in the cross of Christ, there is no more judgment. I love Romans 8, chapter uh, 1. You need to memorize this as a, as a believer. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? Right, some, of you, some of you walked in here this morning uh, thinking you're condemned. You went too far or, or God doesn't like you or he's, he's angry at you. This, this passage says that if you are in Christ, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation. God does not condemn you. Right? Yeah, this is why there's no one like him. Number three, he's excited. Look at verse 18. And this is the centerpiece of, 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 of all of what Mike is saying here. Because he delights in faithful love. Uh, uh, Micah chapter 7, verse 18. Let's look at this. Yeah, Because he delights in faithful love. Micah is saying that God forgives us. God is patient with us because he wants to. How about that? This is what wakes God up in the morning. Right? I'm, he's excited to show mercy to us, to pardon us, to forgive us. He enjoys treating us like this. There is nothing that he would rather do 
than love his people in Jesus. Is that how you see it? There is nothing that God would rather do in the entire universe than love you guys. Uh, our family uh, celebrated two birthdays uh, recently. And, you know, it's a, it's a joy to do that as, as a parent, to give your kids gifts and to see them have a good time and to have fun and to be happy. God is like that. That's just a little, and we're sinners. That's just a little small glimpse of, of the heart of God. God. God takes delight in you. He's excited. He's excited about you. I want you to look at this passage here in uh, Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. Zephaniah was another uh, prophet. I want you to ask yourself a question. Is this how you see God? Is this how you see him? For the Lord your God is living among you. First of all, do we believe that this morning? He is a mighty Savior. Look at this. He will take delight in you with gladness. Do you believe that God is glad about you? That he takes delight in you? I think sometimes we think well, he puts up with us. He's frustrated with us. Uh, maybe he uh, doesn't want to spend time with us much or don't want to be around us because we're kind of annoying. This passage says that he's glad. He takes delight in us with gladness. With his love, he will calm you with his fears. Look at this one. Here at the end, he will rejoice over you with joyful songs. What? God is singing songs about you, right? God is rejoicing over you with, with song and singing. Is this how we see him? Because right? this is who he is because there's, no there's no one like him. There's no one as good as him. Number four, he's compassionate. Verse 19, chapter, uh, Micah chapter 7, verse 19. He will again have compassion on us. The Hebrew word for compassion comes from the same word as a mother's womb. Right? It's tender affection. God has compassion on his people like a newborn, uh, like a mother of a newborn baby. Think about that. That type of tender affection, gentleness, and kindness. This is the most frequent emotion mentioned of Jesus throughout uh, the stories of Jesus in the Bible. Did you know that? He had compassion on them. Look at uh, chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. When he saw the crowds, Jesus, when Jesus saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. It's tender affection. My girls are uh, getting a little older, and uh, I'm not used to being around uh, newborn babies. Right, but when I am, right, they just seem so tiny and so small and so fragile. They're little toes and little fingers and stuff, and you just got to handle them. So I'm afraid to hold them now, right? Um, this is our God, right? This is our God is gentle with us like that and kind to us. And how do we know? How, how can we know this? How can we know for sure that this is the way that God uh, thinks, about, thinks about us? Well, he came. We don't have to guess. All we got to do is look at the life of Christ. This is the most frequent emotion mentioned of Jesus. He had compassion on them. Right? Just look at how Jesus handled people and the, the kindness and, and mercy that he showed towards sinners like me and you. Number five, he is un, he's unbeaten. Micah chapter uh, 7, verse 19. He will vanquish our iniquities and you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. See, God does not just forgive sin does not just overlook sin. Here it says he sees it as an enemy to be dealt with, as an enemy to be dispatched, as an enemy to run a blade through and to vanquish. I watched this uh, documentary recently about these uh, Black Hawk helicopter um, pilots in Afghanistan. And one of them said, man, we got so good at shooting missiles that we could, we could put a missile 
through a window at about a mile away. You see, God has an advanced weapon system like that. Right? And he's able to take care of the enemy of sin. And you might ask, well, what is that? Well, it is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. The fact that uh, that tomb is empty. The fact that Jesus Christ is, is risen uh, from the dead. It's the empty grave. Micah chapter 7 verse 19 says, you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. And that's referring back to the Exodus. Right? When, when God rescued Israel uh, out of slavery under the, under the leadership of Moses and he brought them to the sea and they're like, oh no. And he's like, watch this. Split the sea wide open and they went through, through the waters and they got through onto the other side and Pharaoh uh, and, and the army were hot on the heels and God crushed them in the depths of the sea. God is going to do a similar thing with sin one day. Christians are set free from the grip of sin. When you become a Christian, here's, here's what happens. Its grip is let go of you. And now, you can, now you can start to believe God, believe the Bible. You can start to say no to stuff. You start stopping stuff. You start making changes uh, in your life and repenting of, uh, of sin. We have been liberated as believers in Jesus Christ. But sin tries to make an insurgency every once in a while. Well, actually all the time. It's trying to insert itself. Uh, so we have all kinds of little battles and skirmishes breaking out uh, in our lives all the time. But here's the deal, right? We get some victories, don't we? Yeah, we, we get some victories. But the battle's not over. The battle's not over uh, for believers. But one day it will be. So here's what I'm saying. This passage is saying, one day God is going to fully and finally and completely destroy sin. He's going to put a missile right through it. Man, and praise God for that day. No more sadness, no more tears, no more misery, no more guilt, no more pain. All the sad things in this world will be over when Jesus Christ returns. Number six, he's dependable. Uh, Micah chapter 7, verse 20. You will show loyalty to Jacob and faithful love to Abraham as you swore to our ancestors from days long ago. Uh, I have a log splitter at the house, and uh, I've had that thing for a while, and it's it needs some love, or it needs some maintenance, and there's some stuff that's just barely hanging on there, and, but I guarantee you, if we went out there today, or you had some wood you needed to split, we could go grab it, take it to your house, a couple pools, boom, old faithful, right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to start right up, and we're going to be splitting wood, and God's the same way. He's faithful. He's faithful uh, to his promises. That's what this whole, uh, this passage is, is, this verse is getting at, God's faithfulness, reliability, dependability, his trustworthiness to his promises. See, God is only faithful to do what he said he's going to do. He's not faithful to the ideas and things that we come up and we say, God, why aren't you doing this over here? Because over here he said, I never promised to do that. If, we, if you can get that down, that is a game changer. God does what he says he's going to do. He doesn't necessarily do what we want him to do. But over here, he does all this. He is 100% fully faithful and dependable to do what he said he's going to do. That's what the words loyalty here and faithful love are talking about. They're referring to the fact that God entered into a covenant with Abraham and Israel and all his descendants is promising to them that he was going to send the Messiah Jesus into the world. That's his loyalty. That's his faithfulness. And you know what? It's done. He did it. Right? He's completely dependable. This is what Paul wrote to the Galatians about. Galatians chapter 3, verse 7 through 9. You know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. Right? Those who have faith in Jesus, 
uh, Abraham, our Abraham's sons. Now the scripture, this is the book of Genesis, saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles, right? that God would forgive, he would declare in the right. Everybody who believes in Jesus by faith, he proclaimed the gospel ahead of time to Abraham saying that all nations will be blessed to you. You see how this right here is, uh, is, is in bold? Right? That's, that is a quotation from the book of Genesis. Right? And, and Paul is saying here, listen, God has been so faithful to his promise to Abraham. He sent Jesus into the world. And if you believe the promise just like Abraham did, God will declare you uh, on the right side. He will forgive you. Right? And you will be as righteous as Jesus Christ himself uh, is by faith. Consequently, those who have faith are blessed uh, with Abraham who had faith. God is dependable to do what he said he was going to do. You know, it's hard to find someone you can trust, isn't it? I talk to people all the time, especially in my work as a case manager, that don't have anybody in their life that they feel like they can trust. Right? Sometimes when we look around at the world today and all the messages and news and uh, articles on the Internet or voices or podcasts, it's hard to know. Who can you trust? Right? Who's actually telling the truth out here? There's a lot of deception, corruption, and all kinds of things going on. And it's hard to, to find someone dependable, to find a dependable source to have some solid ground to depend on. Let's start here. How about let's start here? In a world, in a world of, of lies and deception, let's start with the God who never lies. We've got to get back to this. If you're ever going to find anybody you can trust, you've got to go to the most important one, the most faithful one, the most loyal one. God has proven his dependability in Jesus. Our world has gone mad. Our world has lost its mind. But here's the good news. You don't got to lose your mind. Our world can lose its mind. The culture can lose its mind. But you don't have to lose your mind. This is the good news of the book of Micah. Two times in this passage he says, man, something's wrong with my community. It's twisted out here. But he says, but as for me, here's what I'm going to do. As for me, I'm going to look to the Lord. As for me, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. And he ends his book with worship. He worships the God who is infinitely incomparable. How about you? Micah says, as for me, will you join him? Will you worship this God? If we really believe the stuff that I just said here, we ought to lay with our faces flat on the ground this morning. Because there's no one like this God. There's no one who can compare to, compare to him. Will you worship him for the first time here this morning? If you've never come to believe in Jesus, how about today? How about today? How about you come to believe in him and worship him for the first time here this morning? Who is a God like ours? Nobody. There's no one more forgiven than our God. There's no one more patient than our God. There's no one more excited to show you his love than our God. There's no one more compassionate than our God. There's no one who can beat our God. There is no one more dependable and more trustworthy than our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what we want to respond to here this morning. We're